Welcome to the Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Hey, thanks for listening to the Sword and the Trial today. We are very excited about this podcast. We've been looking forward to this podcast for some time. Yes, we have. We've got a wonderful uh, special guest with us today. And uh, before we introduce him, we want to just say also thank you to all of our Founders Alliance members and churches that support Founders Ministries. Uh, we're able to do the things we're doing because of regular ongoing support and appreciate the partnership that you have with us. Today, we have Dr. Mark Coppinger with us. From the great state of Kentucky. Yes. uh, Mark is an old friend and I think actually is a a classmate. We'll ask him about that, but I'm pretty sure that uh, we had a couple of classes together at Southwestern Seminary. But Mark, welcome to The Sword and the Trial. Thanks. Great to be with you. So, Mark, I was trying to just uh, recall when I first met you, and I, I, I can't remember what class it was in, but you, when did you go to Southwestern Seminary? I was there 81 to 83. Okay. I was there doing MDiv 79 to 82 or 3, something like that. Yeah. And you already had your Ph.D. when you went yeah. to MDiv, right? Right. I got that in philosophy at Vanderbilt and taught there and taught at Wheaton for six years and then felt the call. Yeah. So sold the house took the kids, burned up the equity, and went to Southwestern. <laughs> had, had, the, had the time of my life. It was wonderful. Well, Drinking I, out of the fire hose. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had uh, known that about you at the time, because I think I figured it out midway through the semester, because whatever class it was, it, it may have been an ethics class or maybe a philosophy class or something, but, but the professor was intimidated and uh, would you know kind of tiptoe around issues. And whenever you'd ask a question, there would always be almost a deferential response to you. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> oh, man. Well, don't remember that. But well, uh, anyway. Yeah. No, it was great. And fi- finally, somebody told me, said, oh, yeah, you know, he used to teach. He taught at Vanderbilt. He taught at Wheaton. I thought, oh, this is awesome. I, I, need, to, I need to hang on to his coattails. So if people need no, a quick no. introduction to Dr. Coppinger, you can find him online a couple places. we got to point everybody to the uh, – the testimony that you gave before that, what was it, a committee of Congress or some kind of committee oh, that was yeah. set up about uh, drafting women into the military? So you did great stuff right. on that. What, is there a way? Can you find that on like C-SPAN or something? Yeah, I think C-SPAN too. Uh, the the text is it was the what is it? It was like a congressional commission on a military, national, and public service, and they're to report back this month to Congress. Um, it was a Gallaudet University and C-SPAN too. Um, did the thing, and uh, it's up on their side. And then I think it's the the committee has the text of what I submitted. We all submitted statements, and so we can different places. Yeah, we can link to that uh, in the notes for this episode too, so that folks can find that. But Mark, in addition to teaching, uh, you taught at Vanderbilt, didn't you? For uh, a I, while, I did. When I got the doctorate, I, um, they asked me to stay on and. I worked for the National Endowment for the Humanities on a joint project with, with Vanderbilt, and we were taking profs from 12 colleges in Nashville out to the community to talk about ethical things. And so I was a, an assistant professor as well as an NEH employee, but I mean Vanderbilt employed me, and I did that for a couple of years and then went to Wheaton. And and then you did an MDiv at Southwestern, and at some uh-huh. point you went to Indiana, and weren't you the executive yeah. director there? For a while, yeah. Well, I was. I was a pastor first at El Dorado, Arkansas, that's First right. Baptist for yeah, five years, and then yeah. went to state exec in Indiana, eighty eight, eighty nine, and uh, yeah. then to the SBC executive committee right. uh, in uh, public relations, convention relations for the executive committee, and then to Midwestern, and then 
church planner in Evanston and I have been in the witness protection program actually. <laughs> yeah, something, you know, I was involved in something in Philadelphia and I had to change my name and they moved me around. So. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, by God's grace, you've, you've, you're one of those guys been given multiple gifts and you've exercised them in a variety of ways uh, for the kingdom. That's been wonderful. And again, I've appreciated you from a distance for many, many years and was delighted to get to know you as a friend over that time as well. And especially these last few years to see your um, courage, your conviction and your determination to try to speak clearly to the issues that we are facing today. And it seems like God has equipped you both in terms of your training as well as your experience? Because you, you got your Ph.D. in philosophy and ethics, is that right? Uh, yeah, it was actually in epistemology. epistemology. And uh, when I was, uh, I mean, we take ethics and aesthetics. So when I got to Wheaton, that course was covered, so they had me doing all kinds of interesting things, uh, aesthetics and philosophy of law and so forth. So yeah. uh, I kind of moved more and more into ethics and aesthetics. Okay. So, well, certainly epistemology is huge today as well. So give, yeah, give us, yeah. what do you see? You, you have uh, tooled around in the evangelical world in North America quite a bit and seen things right. from a variety of angles. What, what do you, how do you assess what's going on in the evangelical world today uh, in North America? Well, I, I was reading somewhere uh, the other day that one thing you can look at is the publishing. And it's it's interesting to see how, Evangelical publishing has has changed uh, a fair amount. I mean, it used to be that um, you could kind of go to the bank with, um, I don't know, InterVarsity, Urban's Baker, some of these uh, places, and then you had others that were more main mainline, like Fortress Press, or, or even things like Orbis, or uh, you name it. I mean, that would be more, of course, Catholic. And I, I did a review of a book by InterVarsity on uh, actually on race and the wokeness and all this kind of thing for books at a glance where I work as an apologetics editor and, and it was just, it had gone down the, down the road a bit toward being a little bit too cool for me. And I, I remember, uh, in our church at, uh, it was Glen Ellen, uh, Illinois, Glenfield Baptist church. Uh, and my wife is on the committee that called Don Whitney, the yeah. pastor of all things. Yeah. And, uh, we had a fellow named Harold Lenzel in our church who, <laughs> Uh, wrote, uh, uh, or was he the one the Battle for the Bible? Battle yeah, for the Bible. Yeah, it was Baptist in the Bible and, and Battle for the Bible. Right. And he was the editor of Christianity Today at one time. Mm. And boy, that, that yeah. place has changed. That magazine's changed too. So things have, have things have popped up. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll have, I mean, Crossway, uh, popped up and then you have World Magazine and so forth. So it's a, it's a river that's, uh, that's been moving quite a bit. That's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Um, mm. I read, I read this thing back in, I guess it was about 88, 89 in Christian century. And somebody said, you know, if you've got a Christian institution, uh, a college, even a hospital, you can count on being true to its roots for maybe 50 years or something. And then it becomes more and more secularized. And, and then you hand it over to the world. Like, okay, um, world, here's Harvard. You know, you can have it now, uh, you know, or the hospitals or what have you. And he said, "Oh, you can moan about this, but it just that's just the way it is. They never they never drift into like Bob Jones. Like, what were we doing? Uh, you know, we we woke up one day and we were Bob Jones. No, it, it all goes the other way. And so they said, so you just start new ones. Um, and, and and that's like, oh, that's kind of easy. But to sort of give up all the resources and and the like, um, that's a big deal. So some some institutions have said." 
no, this, <laughs> this has not gone well. I mean, 40, 50 years in, something's gone wrong again. And so we need to, um, we need to make a correction. And that's what the Southern Baptists did. That's what the Missouri Synod Lutheran did. I'm sorry, early in the morning, the Missouri Synod Lutheran did. Easy for you to say. And, uh, and I think some, some colleges have done that as well, that uh, we're drifting. And, and so it's tough, but yeah. it's hard to hold it for decades and decades. What Can you give us an example of a, a college or two that you're thinking of that uh, has tried to hold the line or pull back from the drift leftward? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've been encouraged by um, a number of things I've seen. I, through the, I mean, my, by the way, my dad taught at Belmont and Carson Newman in Washita, so I'm a little yeah. campus rugrat and been around these schools a lot. And you know, I, I remember there was a time when Union was not as healthy as it is now in Jackson, right. Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, Oklahoma Baptist University. Um, I was over there for um, one of our students, a PhD uh, fellow, had a book come out, and it was with University. It was a good book, and they had a kind of launch. Uh, event and being on campus at OBU and following some things happening there, I'm encouraged at uh, stuff over in Shawnee. And uh, so there, are, there are a couple. I mean, here and there, you'll you'll see. Uh, well, I, I could name another dozen, but let yeah, me just yeah. leave with those. Okay. Yeah, well, those are good examples. So you were very much involved in the conservative resurgence, and you came. It, you said you felt the call to ministry, and, and was that when the, that happened in the early 80s, I mean, that kind of positioned you in the early years of this inerrancy movement, and you got involved pretty quickly after graduation, didn't you? You know, I did. I mean, this is kind of funny, but I was raised, you know, in the cradle, so to speak, of Southern Baptist teaching, theology, and, you know, all all the stuff. And I went to Wheaton, and we had an integration of faith and learning seminar. And we all had to take it or got to take it. And, and uh, I was in there with Mark Knoll and some other interesting people as newcomers. And that's the first time I ever heard the expression tulip, of all things. Uh, mm-hmm. It just wasn't an issue. And then I remember when Wheaton gave us the um, uh, statement of faith to sign, I, uh, you know, I looked at it and I, I didn't understand a couple of parts of it. Uh, one, there was something that's no longer in there about premillennialism, and I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. And and uh, so I figured out I wasn't post mill and wasn't amill, and and it, those are very puzzling things to me. And I I, I kind of was to the point I just believe whatever I read last or something about that. It's it's very it's been very confusing. But at any rate, I was close enough to say, okay, I, I can assent to that. But the other was verbal plenary inspiration, hmm. and I know what verbal means, and I know what plenary means, but you know, inspiration. But what what is that? So I called my daddy and. Uh, I, I read the thing, and he said, "Oh, you believe that?" <laughs> and so, and I did, and uh, it was, you know, word by word inspired in the original autographs, and so I was happy to find that. But this, I was, I was twenty five when I was learning some of these things. They just weren't, they just weren't issues, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I was committed to that. Later, when I went to Midwestern, uh, somebody said, "Well, how did you become an inerrantist?" And I, I thought, and I thought, like, what was the great turning point? And I. And I just said, well, I just never got over Sunday school. I mean, <laughs> they told me it was, they told me it was true and, and I believed it. So at this point I was, and, and I was, I knew Linsell and I knew the inheritance at, at, uh, Southern and I, I mean, at, at uh, Wheaton, and I, c- I couldn't believe that there were people back in good old Southern Baptist life who were denying this and this and this and saying the accent didn't float and, 
saying this didn't matter and we're pushing abortion and one thing after another. And, and I, w- I was just kind of gobsmacked. And at that point, uh, and, and even in seminary, you know, there would be people saying, well, it says that they killed everybody and I, or God said kill everybody in this town or that. And we know he wouldn't do that, or there, it really wasn't that kind of place, or they couldn't have fit that many people into the Sinai Desert. And I'm thinking, what, what is this? This is, this is Southwestern. So slowly it came over me that something was wrong in Zion. And then they, well, anyway, it, that's kind of, that got me going, but Wheaton primed me. And then I, I came back and I was astonished at what I was seeing. Mm. So uh, how'd we get here today? What's going on in the evangelical world today? And how'd we get here? Well, I think the evangelical world is a little bit like these colleges that, um, you know, they start out, uh, I, I remember Hudson Armitage, the president of Wheaton was talking about Oberlin and how it was really strong. And, you know, with the Finney connection, I can say there could be problems there early on, but they were really strong. And then you watch him through the years, and he was saying, we don't want to become Oberlin. We don't want to drift. But the drift, the cultural push is enormous. I mean, all the applause from the media and uh, the tenderness and the woundedness, and the, we want to be well thought of by the national journals and so forth, and the accreditors push us one way or the other. And then we drift. Well, I think that the culture causes evangelicalism in general to drift and some of the stuff I've read with uh, I don't know TGC and some of these some of these movements and CT and the like it, and and some of what I hear from quote evangelicals makes me think well the river's river's moving on mm. and so um, and and yet you know <clears throat> it was a bit of a reaction against as some people say fundamentalist you know the mm. separation you separate you separate you separate and and so we, but the problem is more and more we try to accommodate, 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 and uh, you know it's it may be time for well people are uh, who was it Wayne Grudem I think wrote something about the uh, the editorial from Christianity Today and sent up a sent up a flare there I see that uh, I think they ran that in the Franklin Graham magazine Wayne Grudem's pushback so you've got to have new voices saying and what was it Bill Buckley said you. Stand in the in the current or something, stand athwart it, and yell stop. And I think it's time for people start yelling stop. So, Mark, but, if you I, were to uh, yeah. if you were to identify principles, certain kind of claims, truth claims that the culture around us, twenty first century American culture, Western culture, um, holds to now that are dangerous, out of step with biblical Christianity. Um, what are the ones that you think are beginning to encroach into evangelical life, even Southern Baptist life? So if you're saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to yell stop at this point and all of the, even all, a lot of our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters are going to look at us with a, with a, with a side eye, you know, because they're so used to drinking in this kind of thing. What would be, um, those points? Well, you know, some people talk about post postmodernism, where you know it's your truth, my truth. Uh, I've experienced this; I can speak for my truth. You can't tell me about your truth and impose your truth on my truth, or what have you. So there's there's a bit of that where relativism is is where you end up. It's more power plays. Um, you know, you had the Bloom book, Closing of the American Mind, where the only thing that can get you on campus, make you a pariah, is, is if you are perceived to be intolerant on some point. I mean, you could be, you could be lazy, you could be, uh, mendacious, you could be, uh, 
you know, drunk, you can be promiscuous and so forth and still be homecoming king or queen. But if, if there's, if you draw a line and say, this is out of bounds and then, then you're just, you're toxic. And so you get into this kind of relativism. We're very, very much, uh, heat to feelings now. And if somebody's wounded and everybody's triggered and looking for safe spaces and, this kind of thing, and that is, boy, even even the way they interview people, like, well, how do you feel? And that's your race car slipped over 13 times, you know, and somebody stole your dog and this and that. How do you feel? How do you feel? And so we're feelings and sensitivity obsessed, and uh, we've drunk deep at that well. I, I, you know, I think sometimes you could say uh, the patron saint now uh, of evangelicalism is Barnabas, you know. Uh, I mean, God bless Barnabas. Thank God for Barnabas, but God didn't let him write scripture. Uh, you know, Paul, Paul had a jerk and not in him. And, you know, Peter's led Barnabas astray. And yeah. I think when he was born, he asked his mommy if it hurt, you know, or something. And I think, I think that's, we're really big into that. Uh, I was thinking about the kind of the reverse, uh, the reverse Rehoboam, you know, when Solomon died and they said, well, he's going to be as mean as your daddy. He said, yeah. You haven't seen anything yet. I think we're going the other way. Are you going to be as rough as those guys who work the, uh, you know, phobic work the, the, uh, the resurgence? Is oh no, no. Listen, those guys. I'm telling you, we're embarrassed. I yeah. mean, God bless them and thank you for this. But now yeah. we're the new day of sensitivity. Sensitivity is king. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, I I just um, it, it it strikes me. You remember, you remember when they had the Chicago statement on Bill? Uh, they put down stakes there, but they had to hurry and have the Chicago Statement on hermeneutic because right. you can do cute things with the Bible. Uh, I mean, even the Metropolitan Community Church would say, oh, no, we believe there was a problem in Sodom, but it was in hospitality. You know, send your visitors out that we might have fellowship with them. No, you can't do it. Well, that's in. And then they'll go to Romans 1 and say, uh, uh, you know, they gave up their natural, uh, you know, natural desires and and they're like, well, sure. So if you're, you know, if you're naturally homosexual and then you, you go hetero, then mm. you violated Romans 1. So you can do all kinds of tricks with the Bible. And that's where our real problem is now. You've got all kinds of people saying the Bible's true. But I think, I think they're fudging and uh, they're doing some eisegesis here and there. But, but again, with that underlying, but let me just say this, too. I think that PR is is king too that mm. uh we we have got to sell this thing i could say more about that but we're you know we're a very pr oriented uh, society very sensitivity driven and uh we can find all kinds of theological uh reasons for talking that way but i think it's it's really taking us down the river mark you've touched on something i think is, is significant and it's becoming increasingly clear to me we've got people who will uh, advocate positions that historically have been way out of bounds for Orthodox Christianity right. and do so right. saying, but but we signed the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, or we've signed yeah. the Baptist Faith and Message, or we've signed the Nashville Statement. So I mean, how, how can a person uh, endorse Revoice and sign the Nashville Statement? What's going on in a person's thinking like that, uh, you know, if you had to try to evaluate it? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a little leery of statements. I mean, I'm, I believe in them, confessional things and signing them and the like. But having been a trustee at Southern back in 87, 88, mm. uh, I can tell you, you can sign all kinds of stuff and then play games in your mind. Um, or, um, you know, talk one way in the campus and then 
put a shine on when you go speak in the pulpit. But I, I, I've heard some really, really interesting things done. I, I won't name names or places, but uh, somebody, what was it? Somebody said uh, in one of the, the door documents, uh, there was condemnation of the Anabaptist heresy. And somebody says, look, I'm against heresy anytime. If, uh, you know, if the Anabaptists had one, then I'm against it. Like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. Or, uh, uh, you know, people, people can, can just say, yeah, I mean, in a sense, I, I, yeah, close enough or that kind of thing. So we can play games with that sort of thing. Um, I, I think sometimes it's, I mean, it's really dishonesty. Other times I think it's, it's a matter of, uh, finessing things, uh, in well, one's mind. What, what about a sincere person? I, Cause I, I, I believe yeah. there's some real sincere people that I've talked to yeah. and disagreed yeah. with and they don't, they don't see it. It's like, there's something in the foundation of approaches that is radically different from my own. And, and um, it's hard to come to, t- to a meeting of the minds. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously there's some really, really serious um, godly people we disagree with on, mm-hmm. on things. I mean, I, I, I have good friends who are Presbyterians who believe in pedo baptism and I think they're serious. I, I don't think they're going right. wink, wink at all. Um, so people can be really muddled. Um, I so yeah. I by the way, someone someone said, "Do you believe in infant baptism?" I'm like, believe in it. Hey, I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, so, I believe in, in sincere sincere disagreements on what the Bible says. Well, uh, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, yeah. it. It's surely there. But in in other cases, it, it just seems. What was the one um, about uh, the baptize baptize message? truth about mixture of error and someone says oh listen i mean if there's any any error <laughs> i mean I, I believe in the truth that's not mixed that's with right. error so uh, <laughs> if, if there's error in the bible that's not part of it's you know, not mixed it's like, well, wait 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 that's that's a, that's a game so i think right. there's some gamesmanship i think people love their jobs they love mm-hmm. their status uh, and they'll knuckle under and kind of go along but yeah i i some of this stuff is just so familiar i mean you know the women's thing um I was uh, I was reading the old 1984 resolution, and I think it was largely written by Carl Henry back in the day. I was a brand new pastor, and uh, they brought it to the convention. And I remember I I went back to my church in Arkansas, and kind of a feminist lady said, "Did you see that resolution?" And and by the way, it wasn't it was it was I guess tighter than the BFM 2000, mm-hmm. and it talked about objecting to women in positions of ordination. And it wasn't just like senior pastors or, or what have you. And so I, I was back uh, saying, well, yeah, but it had scriptural basis. You voted for it? I said, <laughs> yes. And it turns out, well, going to get into much detail, a significant chunk of our church uh, budget went away with that <laughs> very statement. And yet you just stay with the stuff. Mm. And uh, God continued to bless. But I, I really liked, I mean, that was back kind of before, country was cool um back early in the in the struggle but carl henry was on that committee and i liked the way we spoke back then yeah well this has been very helpful dr coppinger i know that you having experience and walked through the conservative resurgence and then trying to understand what was going on back then and then relate it to what's going on now um so thank you for joining us today what we want to do i actually want to take a deeper dive into this with you and i've been thinking a lot about 
the connection between kind of the, I guess, what could be called the social justice ethic and then the social oh, justice sure. philosophy. So the, the actual worldview of people around us and the worldview that seems to be creeping into the church in certain ways. And since you are a former professor of ethics and philosophy, I, I really get into um, what what is secular humanism? How are people thinking around us? Maybe like a um, David Wells kind of thing, no place for mm-hmm. truth. And maybe you highlighting mm-hmm. some stuff at a deeper level than we've been able to get into in this podcast so if you'll hang around we want to do an extended interview with you uh, but this is going to be up on the armory folks so for those who are founders alliance members you have access to this content go to founders.org we'll be uploading it there soon if you're not a founders alliance member and you want to get access to that armor we've just dropped a interview with Vody Bacham we Mark as well Mark Coppinger yep. uh, from our buy what standard footage and Dr. Tom Nettles extended interviews I think some of them are an hour long some are 30 minutes and so go to founders.org join the fam get access to that armory so stick around for just a few minutes with us Dr. Coppinger and I'd like to get into this you can bring out some of those big terms that you know that can kind of educate us a little bit Thanks so much for being with us, Mark. Thank you. Also, before we sign off today, we want to remind you that uh, we have going on for the rest of this week a matching gift for the Wield the Sword initiative that we are uh, getting underway in in the next couple of weeks. Someone has uh, graciously provided $10,000 that they will give if we can provide uh, matching gifts for that. So if you're interested in supporting that initiative, this week would be the time to do it because it will actually double the amount of money that you give. So you can go to founders.org, click on Wield the Sword, and uh, you can find more information there. But we would greatly appreciate it if you'd help us take advantage of this opportunity.